Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. So Kea, I'm super excited about this episode because we talk about many things, but one thing that really stands out is the topic of stress. <laughs> I know we all have stress in our life and I know me and you kind of behind the scenes before this interview, we were talking about how important it is for women just to kind of talk about how do they do it all? What does that look like? Because I think we sometimes put expectations on ourselves of trying to do it all and then we feel stressed and we we all know what that can do to our hormones and our overall health. And I just know we were going back and forth on that topic. And we just wish there was a little bit more transparency around what does it actually look like behind the scenes? How do you juggle it all? What does that even mean for you? But it's just an interesting question that I know we were just chatting about. It's such an interesting question to me because if you ever watch red carpet interviews or, you know, I went to film school, so I watch a lot of interviews with actors and directors. And when they interview female actors or women in the industry and ask them, especially if they're mothers, how do you juggle it all? I see a response of a lot of women being offended by that question and feeling like you would never ask a man that. You would never ask my husband that. Why are you asking me that? And I always thought it was really interesting to have that response. Everybody's definitely entitled to their own response. But now that I am a mom and we have Bia and I have a full day job and, you know, just the everything in life, I genuinely ask myself that question. Like, (laughs) how do I juggle it all? And I think that, as you mentioned, it's really important for women to be talking about this and be realistic about the struggles of trying to do everything because it's just not realistic. Try to do so many things and do them all really well. We can do our best, but we can't be perfect at everything. And so what's really interesting about the question and about the topic of stress that we talk about in today's episode is that stress impacts women way more than it impacts men. And I do wonder if some of this has to do with that perfectionist sort of feeling and the thing that women might feel often, which is that they have to just do it all and not talk about it and not talk about their struggles and not talk about how hard it is to have a family and also be working and also be taking care of the house. And so I thought it was really interesting that we dive into the effects of stress, particularly on hormones and on women, especially women who are struggling with chronic illnesses. Today's guest is Ash Milkovic. Ash is a nutritional therapy practitioner and functional hormone health expert. As the founder and CEO of the International Association for Functional Hormonal Health, Ash strives to make advancements in women's health accessible by teaching tools and strategies to health professionals to expand their knowledge, skill sets, and practices in functional hormone health. I'm actually doing her program right now, and it's amazing. We talk about it in the episode. Through her association, Ash is on a mission to educate, collaborate, and create a thriving community of skilled practitioners that are passionate about helping to transform the lives of women all over the globe. So let's get into it. All right, Ash, we're so happy to have you on the podcast. In your experience, what are the top three biggest things that women are doing daily that are contributing to the hormonal imbalances that we see today? Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here and to talk with you guys about hormone health, which is, of course, one of my favorite topics of all. So Your question is, what are the three biggest things 
it's a tough question because there are a lot of things that I feel can influence hormone health. Um, one of the primary things I would say is just how toxic and stressful our world can be and how it's set up in the foods that we eat as a general society, in the products that we are using, in the water that we are drinking, in the environment that we live in. In general, we are inundated with toxins that can directly interfere with our hormone health on so many different levels. So that is one of the primary things that I see being a big influence that impacts women's hormonal health, some of which is in our control and some of which is not in our control. So a part of that is understanding what we are able to work with and what we are able to control in our environments to set our bodies up for hormonal health and resiliency. Beyond that, I would say a lot of the things that could be contributing to those struggles with hormonal imbalances is very societally programmed, such as the pressure to go against the natural female cycle, for one, and how we kind of live in a man's world. And we live in this very linear sort of setting. We're told to hit the grind, to work all day, to we pressure ourselves to, to be perfectionists, to have everything go a certain way. And we tend to, when following that path, we tend to go against, we tend to resist the natural female cycle and how our bodies are set up and designed to operate on a physiological level. And so this sort of ingrained societal programming of how women in general are living and how we're taught to live and how this starts from a young age, <laughs> you know, go to school, get your work done, um, have a career, hustle, grind, all of that, it perpetuates. But more and all, um, so many women are so disconnected to their cycle and what it means to be a cyclical being. So this personal disconnection to the cyclical self, which is no one's fault. I don't want to say that it's anybody's fault, but just more so that societal programming um, has led to a lot of these imbalances because when we are going against the grain, so to speak, that just disrupts that natural flow and that natural cycle in the female body. So there is beauty to this physiological differentiation between males and females. And I think that that is another area to really look at and evaluate as a society, as individuals, as human beings. Um, and maybe one reason why hormone imbalances are so common is because we don't talk about this as often as we should. Yeah. And can I just pause right there, Ash? I'd love to jump in just on that second point, because it just speaks to my own experience, not living my truth with my cycle. And I'm sure there's so many women who are listening, who are grinding at work, right? Everyone who's listening is a high achieving woman. We're looking to they're looking to optimize their health. So from your perspective, you see this with, I'm sure a lot of your, you know, clients and people you work with, but maybe what are some things that you can share where women can incorporate today to kind of live more in harmony with their cycle? And maybe that's even taking a step back to even walk through what, what is our cycle like and how can we honor it if we're not educated on it? 
Yeah. Um, well, I think the first part to that is awareness and education, but if we're not educated to it, then that's where the dysfunction comes in, right? That's where if we're not subjected to that different train of thought, that way of existence, which I think takes a community, it takes a crowd, it takes one person taking the step, one person showing the way, one person leading through their actions in order for that ripple effect to really take control on a more massive level so that women have the ability to to see that that way of living is possible you know but i think that can be broken apart into to many different um in many different ways depending on if we're speaking to the individual if we're speaking to the workplace if we're speaking to the school systems you know how are we going to implement that how are we going to spread that awareness that conversation can come out differently depending upon um who we're speaking to but in general i would say um taking the time to acknowledge your your cycle your patterns to slow down when you're not feeling good like if you have pms mm -hmm. if you have period pain instead of bearing through it which we tend to do because we are so resilient and strong you know but take that moment to just allow yourself to breathe and allow yourself to slow down which is what your body is really asking of you in those moments um and sort of practicing with that to begin like tapping in what does your body need in those moments are you feeling like you need food are you feeling like you need rest mm -hmm. are you feeling like you need to talk are you feeling like you need alone time like you need to dance what do you need and tap into that and i would say that's a really good starting point for most people and then beyond that taking that that conversation and expanding it into your full menstrual cycle because menstruation is just a piece to it but it is the most prominent piece to it that so many of us are experiencing and aware of on a monthly basis but the entire cycle is that full average of 28 days and when we are able to tap into that cyclical nature a little bit a little bit more more clearly we can see that our energy fluctuations go up and down according to where we are in our cycle so you may have a little bit more of a natural influx of your energy after your period ends and then that kind of peaks around the, the mid cycle point when you're ovulating and then starts to slump or you may have some more symptoms after that point as you lean more towards your period and i think when we are looking at the cycle from this perspective we can begin to have a more clear understanding of what it is that we may experience at a certain point in time so that we can work with our natural energy flows because there's nothing wrong with this up and down it's just a matter of recognizing it honoring it and working with it instead of against it and if you're listening to this and you're like what the hell is cyclical living i've never heard of anything like this before i'm a woman i have my period what are you talking about uh, Ash just explained it, but essentially because of the fluctuations in our hormones, we feel differently. Women in their reproductive years feel differently throughout the month. And so if one week you're feeling super extroverted and then the next week you're feeling super introverted, it's not because, you know, there could be something deeper going on, but it's also fully okay to feel that way. And I know Yasmin and I talk about this all the time. When I tapped into this, especially lately, and said, you know what, I actually have this plan or this meeting that might not go well. And it's going to be around a time where I know I typically feel a little bit sad or I feel a little bit like 
I want to go inward, I can cancel that. I can reschedule it. Or if I know like, hey, this is going to be happening in my follicular phase or when I'm ovulating and it's going to be great and I want to take advantage of that. Or if I'm having a conflict and I know that maybe I might overreact just because of the way that I'm feeling in that moment, it's okay to be like, this is not the best time to talk about this specific thing because I know I'm just not in a place to communicate it about, about it in a way that I want to right now. So there's so many different ways that we can honor this. And as you mentioned, the world is not necessarily set up to support that in us, but we can apply it in little ways um, in our own lives when it comes to just social activities or work meetings if you have the freedom to kind of schedule things. So there's so many different things that we can do. And I'm curious, Ash, how did all of this become important to you? Like, why did you start to care about this? Hmm. Well, <laughs> I would say a lot of it started with my own personal journey, as, as it does for many. You know, you, you, you come into this point where you're like, enough is enough, right? I had a lot of hormonal-based issues, a lot of hormonal-based symptoms. I was not receiving support, adequate support from the medical care system, which led to me having to seek out those answers for myself. Um, and then I became a practitioner. And then I realized how sparse the information actually was getting, getting accessible information surrounding hormone health and women's health was even for practitioners, which took me down an even further rabbit hole of accessibility and why it is that uh, the medical system as a whole is very lacking in its ability to properly support, understand, and care from this holistic perspective. Um, but a lot of it just stemmed from my own, the why this is so important to me started from my own experience, but then turned into more of recognizing how big this issue is and that it stems beyond me. So it started with, with me feeling like I needed something needed to give. I need something I need. I need to find the answers into other women need these answers. I mean, this information needs to be out there. Practitioners need this information. We need to be expanding our understanding of hormone health far beyond ourselves, but into our communities and into the medical system too, so that we can truly make some lasting, profound change on a global level. <clears throat> but why, if we're really talking about why is hormone health so important? Why is cyclical health so important? And when we're speaking to cyclical health, this is a way of living. This is a way of being, this is a way of understanding the body, but a lot of it boils down to hormones because the hormones, our hormones are what operate that, that cyclical, our cyclical existence. So our menstrual cycle as a whole is operated, um, conducted by those hormones. And the interesting thing that I find about hormone health, and this is my philosophy and passion project, I will say, is that um, hormone health definitely plays a role in in, in cyclical health and, and the way that a woman is able to live, perceive, and understand her life. But beyond that, when we're talking about hormone health, oftentimes a lot of people automatically associate it with something like cyclical health, menstruation, reproduction, fecundity. It's all centered around reproductive health to a degree, which is, which is true, but this fails to 
expand the conversation of hormones beyond that into understanding how and where hormone health plays a role in every single body system and in every single area of a woman's health and well-being. So when we're talking about things such as why is it that um, you know women are statistically maybe I forget the specific statistic, but I think it's around 70% more likely to experience adverse reactions to pharmaceutical drugs than men. Um, or why is it that so many more women have issues with chronic health conditions such as autoimmunity, IBS, mental health issues, inflammatory conditions, cancer development? You know, why are we experiencing these things which, which stem beyond reproduction, right? And this is where I think understanding hormonal health can be really profound because we can we can take this understanding of hormone health and we can see how and where it applies to other areas of a woman's health and, and well-being and her experience of her life. <clears throat> and so, I mean, speaking to practitioners, I think that this is working with hormone health in this capacity is really important for helping to support women on a more foundational level and, and, and allowing them to experience the full potential of their life, not just their ability to, to reproduce because that's not every woman's goal for one. And so we need to be considering how and where hormone health is important in other areas. And I think that is the, the ticket to helping women um, take back control of their life. So cyclical health is one part of it, but it's everything else at the same time. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. You know, we often joke that people hear that we have a company around supporting women's hormones and they roll their eyes and they think, oh, this is not for me. I'm not going through menopause. I don't need this. I'm not a, you know, a 13 year old teenager. I don't need this. And that hormones are so much bigger than just what people perceive. And there's different classes of hormones. And if I haven't mentioned this already, Ash has an amazing program on hormonal health, which I'm currently doing. And one of the biggest takeaways is that especially somebody who's dealing with a chronic illness, that the reason that you wanna understand our hormones is because there are different ways to treat each person and each person's case is very unique. So for example, we talk to a lot of women who have PCOS and they might go to their doctor and their doctor's like, okay, you have PCOS, maybe you have an insulin issue. If they catch that, here's some metformin or this is just the issue you have, you probably are infertile, like move on with your life. But 
we now know there's different types of PCOS. And something that you talk about in your course, Ash, is uh, there's inflammatory PCOS, there's ovarian, there's like so many different classes. And if you just focus on what the standard sort of treatment is for your PCOS, you might not be catching why your body in particular has that issue. You might be doing everything right. You might be exercising. You think you're eating well. You think you're doing all the things, but your symptoms are not resolving because you're not getting the right treatment for you. So I think the most empowering thing is that often, unfortunately, people don't seek out this information until they need it for themselves. But, you know, maybe you have a family member or something like that. But even if you're just trying to optimize your life, understanding your hormones is so critical. So I love that we're having this conversation. And that's just a little shout out for your program, because if you want to understand it, you got to check it out. But I'll, I'll step off my soapbox now. Yeah, and our program is geared more towards health professionals, people who are in the health and wellness space who want to have that deeper understanding of those physiological impacts. And here's um, maybe a mild controversial thing that I'm going to say, but I, I believe PCOS is more of a, a symptom than it is a root cause of anything, you know, because when we're talking about um, hormone imbalances, and this is where I think a lot of people tend to roll their eyes, even, even some practitioners, because they go, oh, hormone imbalances, those aren't root causes. So we need to be working on other things. We need to be looking at digestive health. We need to be looking at, you know, nutrition, inflammation, all these other areas before we get to the hormone imbalances. But I think one of the things that we, we tend to neglect is that our hormones, the endocrine system, the hormonal system is the body's primary line of communication. It's how the body speaks to us. And when we have an understanding of how, where, and why certain hormone imbalances can occur, so those, those PCOS driving factors, whether it's inflammatory-based, whether it's adrenal-based, whether it's ovarian-based, um, what are the driving factors beyond that help us to understand how we can more strategically come in with support. Because yeah, nutrition, of course, we all know that. Gut health, yeah, we all know that. Okay, you know, but we can, we can use hormones as a way of learning how to understand the body's innate language, something that I believe we are all intrinsically aware of. I mean, it comes through every cycle. We, you know, whether we're ovulating, whether we're not ovulating, that's some powerful information right there. The problem is that we've forgotten how to speak the language of our body. We have forgotten how to understand what these hormonal-based symptoms are telling us at their core. And so when we can understand that, and I'm speaking to women in a sense of understanding your, your period health, understanding what your symptoms may mean, but also for practitioners that may be listening to this, learning how to work with hormone testing, learning how to understand what those patterns are can tell you a lot as far as peeling back the layers of the onion of what the complications are and really dialing in an effective support strategy for your client or for your patient. And so by doing that, it can help us to more, more easily understand what those root imbalances are because that way we can get more strategic in the supplementation and the botanicals and the nutraceuticals that we are using. And we can also use it as a way to help to monitor progress along the way to make sure that the support mechanisms we are providing are actually having a positive impact. Absolutely. There's something that I think you mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, which we often think of our menstrual cycle as like 
menses being the primary thing, but actually ovulation is very important. And I think a lot of people don't understand why, and even they don't even know if they are ovulating or not, or maybe they haven't even heard of it, but why is knowing if you are ovulating important, even if you're not trying to get pregnant, even if it's not on your radar, um, why is that important? Why is ovulation important? Oh, and this this goes back to that conversation of, of fertility beyond fecundity. Why is fertility important beyond one's ability to reproduce? And when we're thinking about when we're thinking about hormones again, we're we're often thinking about it from that reproductive stance. But these hormones that it's it's ovulation, yes, but honestly, a lot of it more so has to do with all the hormones surrounding ovulation. So the hormones that are supporting the process of ovulation and the hormones that are produced following a successful ovulation. So ovulation is just the event of the egg being released from the follicle. <laughs> An ovulation, that ovulatory quality can be good, it can be bad, but a lot of what the importance of ovulation is has more to do with the hormones. So is there sufficient estrogen? Is Well, first of all, is the brain communicating with the ovaries properly to help to support ovarian follicle development and estrogen production? Um, are the follicles able to develop properly? Are they able to um, support that egg quality? And then how um, robust is that ovulation? How robust? So after you ovulate, there is this temporary little endocrine gland that is produced called the corpus luteum. And once you ovulate that, um, that gland produces progesterone. And so you see you have brain communication to ovaries, you have estrogen production, after ovulation you have progesterone. And these hormones, the estrogen, and I'll stick with estrogen and progesterone now to make it more simple, um, but they, those are the hormones that have a role in so many other areas of a woman's health and well-being. So when you're asking why is ovulation important, beyond one's ability to reproduce. It's the estrogen, it's the progesterone, and the testosterone, and all the other little hormones that are involved that are helping to support things like your insulin sensitivity, your blood sugar balance, your brain health, your um, neuroplasticity, your GABA production, your mood regulation, um, your ability to produce serotonin and feel happy, your gut health, your bone health. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. and. Plus, on top of that, all of those hormones, um, when in balance and, and how they are supporting the body is going to help to either prom promote health or dis-ease, I'm not saying disease, dis-ease, when it comes to the menopausal transition too. So we want to be thinking about it from this bigger picture perspective of how and where those hormones are playing a role in our current experience and our future experience of aging. You know, one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, a lot of the theme of this interview is twofold. You know, one of them, which I'm so passionate about is 
understanding your hormones isn't only when you're trying to get pregnant. It's so much broader than that, right? It's how we show up as our best selves, which like Kay and I are so passionate, you know, from a business perspective, like how do we support women to feel good every day to go after their biggest goals and their dreams? And the second theme I would say is you talking a lot about how important it is for women to be connected to our bodies. And, you know, this is something that I'm consistently working on. And one big aspect that I think has really impacted my own journey is me being on birth control from a young age because of PMS, right? Not for preconception, but specifically me going on it because I had horrible PMS and getting off of it and learning, oh my gosh, my body feels completely different. I'm trying to understand this whole cyclical living that we're talking about. For any woman who's listening today who is on birth control, thinking about coming off of it, how can they support their bodies through that transition? Hmm. Good question. Well, it depends on what kind of birth control you're on. <laughs> Um, I always feel like when I get asked a question, I have 20 more questions before I can actually answer the question. <laughs> but one of those is, you know, what kind of birth control are you on? Because that's going to determine how, how you can come off of it. So if you're taking the pill and just stop taking the pill, you know, if you are on an IUD, you might have to make the appointment to actually get that IUD out. Same with the implant. If you're on the shot, you may have to wait a little while in order for your hormones to go back to normal. So depending on what kind of birth control you're on kind of gives you this timeline to expect as far as when you can stop um, introducing those hormones. So one thing that I will say is that when you are on hormonal birth control, the hormones that are being introduced to your body are not the same as your endogenous natural hormones. So the estrogen, the progesterone that I was talking about that influences your brain health, your bone health, your heart health, your digestive health, all of those things, those in a positive way, those, the hormones that you are being introduced through your birth control, which the estrogen um, is called ethenylestradiol. It's not estradiol or typical estrogen. And then you have progestin, which is not progesterone. So we first have to understand that these hormones that are being introduced to us are different. So they're not going to have the same physiological impact or support mechanisms as our natural hormones. <clears throat> so that's a big reason why a lot of women experience symptoms and issues and side effects <laughs> from taking um, hormonal birth control. But when, when you are trying to come off of it, you have to understand that there's going to be this transitionary period because your body is going to have to process what it has been given for such a long time. And it's going to have to re-stimulate the communication from the brain to the ovaries and learn how to ovulate again. And for some women, this is quick. For some women, it is not. Um, and that is really bio-individualistic as far as how long it may take for your body to transition back to producing its own hormones again. Um, but that time frame can be really symptomatic for some individuals and what symptoms you experience may also depend on what birth control option you were taking. Um, it's a whole nother podcast conversation. I know. We'll have to do a part two. <laughs> yeah. um, but essentially, if you, if you understand, let's say that you're working with a practitioner, let's say you're working with someone like me, or you're working with someone who's been trained under me. Um, in the course, we talk about what kinds of birth control options have different physiological impacts. And if you're wanting to have more of a smoother transition, you first need to understand the science of the birth control. 
because when you understand how that birth control is impacting your body, you can support your body according to what symptoms are more likely to be experienced after you discontinue that form of birth control. So that can help with the transition just a little bit, but also things like supporting your body three months before you come off of it, getting your blood sugar dialed in, getting your digestive support down, um, staying hydrated, taking a high quality uh, multivitamin or something along those lines because birth control can deplete a lot of nutrients from the body. All of those things can help to support that transition and also help to speed up that um, the process of helping your body to ovulate again so you can produce your own hormones and get back to that natural cyclical nature that we've been talking about. One thing that we've been talking to a lot of experts about and understanding over this year of us having our company is the importance of adrenal health, particularly for women, um, and the effects of stress on women, and the effects of stress being harder on women than they are on men. And uh, it's also something that I'm learning about through you too, is that supporting our adrenals becomes critical, especially as we move into our perimenopausal years and menopausal years. So there's a lot of talk of adrenal fatigue, adrenal dysfunction, what does it mean? But let's kind of take a step back and talk about why is stress um, management important and what does stress do to our hormones? Oh, where do you start with this one? <laughs> stress, Stress can impact our hormones. The most simple way that I can explain it is that stress creates a block in that communication system. So if your hormones are your body's primary communication, it's like a telephone line going in. So what we, what we have are called feedback loops. So it's like your brain sends a message to another part of your brain, which sends a message to the endocrine gland, which then sends a message or then produces the hormone. And then the hormone goes to its target tissue, sends a message there, and then goes back to the brain. It's this is big line of telephone. And so it's important that the, the message is clear. It's important that the communication is clear. And one of the things that stress can do, and mind you, stress is is physical, stress is emotional, stress is mental, stress is environmental. There are so many different forms of stress, but one of the primary things that stress can do is that it can create miscommunication and it can create blockages in those in that communication telephone line. And when that happens, that causes disruption, that causes miscommunication, that causes so many other issues further down that telephone line. And it doesn't just stop with your adrenals. So it may start with your adrenals um, for some case, in some cases, and that then could have an impact on your thyroid health, other endocrine glands, your your ovaries, your ovulatory quality, it can have a ripple effect into so many other areas of where your endocrine system um, influences. So I would say that's a big reason why we need to be looking at our stress and our our stress management is because it, it definitely can be one of those biggest, one of the biggest communication disruptors out there. 
And I'm curious when stress management is such a broad term, and I know there's so many things that go under that, but are there any one, you know, a few techniques that you like that you recommend if someone's coming to you and they're like, Ash, I know I'm stressed. I'm doing my best to management, manage it, but do you have any recommendations there on what they can do in their day-to-day life? Yes. So when someone is talking about stress, I like to pick that apart because stress can mean so many different things. I mean, first of all, nobody is forgiven from the the human burden of stress. <laughs> we all have it. So why is it that some people can handle it better than others? You know, so we need to look at the body. We need to look at how the body is handling stress. We need to look at those communication systems. Yes. And, and, and finding some level of physiological support can be helpful. So thinking about um, what supplementation could you use to sort of support and cradle your adrenals under stressful times can be a strategy. Um, but also picking it apart a little bit further and asking, okay, so where are, where are these stressors influencing? We can, we can support it physically as much as possible, but are we also taking measures to look at this from a broader perspective? Are, First of all, how, how is your nervous system doing? Are you in a chronic dysregulated state? Um, do does this does this person um, seek therapy? Do they have support systems? Um, is there traumas influencing that may need to be picked apart? Is there perfectionist tendencies that may need to be looked at? Um, but I mean, there's lots of different areas that can be looked at for for stress management. And I think it's just really individualized to the person as far as what may need to be done. I have a, I have a hard time giving generalized recommendations. That's just one thing about me. If someone's like, what's the best thing to do? I, I, can't, I have to sort of talk about it in this sort of bigger picture way because what's gonna work for someone is not gonna work for everyone. And I'm not here to say, oh, take an adaptogenic blend of supplements and you'll be fine. I'm not here to say, um, support your nervous system regulation and you'll be fine get some more sleep and you'll be fine because it's, it's never that simple and i i definitely understand that for sure i think the one thing i will say about that too add to it is that so many people are not doing the basics right like there's just the basic fundamental things that when i do talk to some of my friends for example or even if i look at my own life like i won't point any fingers out but sometimes feeling off and I'm like, am I, am I sleeping? Like, am I going to bed on time? Am I eating a blood sugar balancing meal? Am I, you know, going outside in nature and stuff and something like that. And I think when it, when it comes to people like us, who we work with people on individualistic level, we're often looking at blood work and all of that. It's so awesome that we get to do those things, especially for people who are in a more complicated case or they feel like they've been trying to do everything right. Or, you know, maybe there's something specific but I also like to try sometimes to take a step back to people who don't have access as much for those types of things. So I definitely see like both sides of it. And also I, I totally get what you're saying too, because um, like you said, not everybody's gonna, sometimes people don't need to be doing more, they need to be doing less. And so I think that's also a big part of it too. So I definitely understand what you're saying. I love that what you just said, not doing more, but doing less. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, so many people will, will put more on their plate or they'll put so much, um, 
they'll tell themselves that they're doing something wrong. And I think that when we when we are stressed, we have to give ourselves a little bit of forgiveness because this is this is the only way our body knows how to protect us and how to keep us safe to an extent. So first of all, just remembering that it's okay to be stressed. It's okay to have ups and downs, you know, and whether it's like a small step that you could take to exactly if you're looking at your life and you're like, oh, well, I only get five hours of sleep a night. What can you do to help to increase that? Um, you know, what may you need to shift? What may you need to move around um, in order to support that that goal? Is it, you know, what other forms of stress are you experiencing? Do you need someone to communicate with, um, or even going back to uh, like the physiological impact of it and just remembering that stress can also be physical too. So looking at your blood sugar, looking at what are you eating first thing in the morning? Um, are you drinking coffee on an empty stomach? Are you creating physiological stress and decreasing your ability to respond and resist that stress on a, on a physical level um you know those are small things that we can look at and and take control of in our personal lives um yeah and also just letting go to some extent <laughs> for a long period of my life i especially when i first started my career i kind of got into a little bit of an orthorexic state which is like a form of a eating disorder where you're so hyper focused on every, doing everything right you know living right eating right only eating organic all of this stuff never having any toxins in your world and and we put so much pressure on ourselves to do all of this perfectly and and i'll be frank with you sometimes i feel like that per perfectionist tendency that having to do everything if you're not doing it you're also putting more stress and shame on yourself for not doing it right it's just like girl let it go let it go eat eat the cake eat the cake the cake is going not eating the cake and being so stressed out <laughs> because it's your birthday and you can't have a piece of cake is probably causing more cortisol and issues and stress <laughs> on a physical level than just eating the dang cake you know what i mean that's my eat the cake theory, but, <laughs> um, you know, so like, what can you do to, to give yourself a little bit, take the pressure off, give yourself a break, allow yourself to just be human. And I think that that brings it back into the conversation of nervous system dysregulation and just like giving your, your inner self a, a deep hug and like, it's okay. You know, it's okay to be stressed out what can you do what's the easiest most feasible small step from here to take actionable progress but don't put it all on yourself at once because you're you can't you can you're gonna break from so much pressure at some point you know i can 100 percent relate to that at my you know having struggled with definitely as a lot of us women in wellness do with orthorexia which i don't think is an official like diagnosis by any means but it's a very real thing um in those moments where I felt like, oh, that had gluten in it, like, what am I gonna do? Oh, that had sugar, I don't eat sugar, this and that. I honestly can look back at pictures of myself in that moment and feel like, who was that person? I didn't look well, I looked stressed, I was underweight, I was not sleeping well, I was, my skin was breaking out, I just was probably doing what maybe a lot of people considered to do, to be everything, I was doing everything right. and. I never felt worse, which is really interesting. But giving myself, especially after becoming a mom, 
I can't think about food. <laughs> like I can't, I don't have the time to even think about food that way. Like I'm just doing my best. And interestingly enough, it's being reflected in my blood work too, that I'm actually like just living my life, going with the flow and not obsessing over things, but trying to find what works for me has actually improved my overall health. So it's really interesting to see that. And I hope, I know there's a lot of women who feel that way too. And I hope that if they're listening to this, it gives them a little bit of motivation to just give themselves grace because that's the number one thing that we can all do as women. We all can give ourselves a little more grace for sure. Yeah, we deserve it. <laughs> You know, one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on, Ash, is, you know, Kay, you mentioned how, you know, back in the day you were doing all these things and you were breaking out and your skin health was something you were looking into. I've had my own acne and hormonal journey there. I know this is, again, a broader question, but I'd love to maybe get your thoughts on, you know, if your acne is coming from hormonal imbalances, how can we support women or any tips that you have when it comes to overall skin health, however way you want to take it? Ooh. <laughs> Because this is, this is, again, it's like 20 questions with the question because, you know, what kind of acne, where is the acne? Is it hormonal based or is it gut based? Is it inflammatory based? Well, what was really interesting about Yasmin's in particular, well, I think we should do specifically about what was going on with Yasmin. It started after you got off birth control and it was very much correlated to your cycle. Is that correct, Yasmin? right before your period is when it would, would be popping up and the classic a lot right here, right on the jawline, but you didn't really have it when you were on birth control and it wasn't bad prior to birth control. So we hear a lot of those types of cases of like, it's very much happening right before my period and it didn't start until I got off of birth control, which is, you know, I don't know, Ash, if we can speak to that type of situation in particular. Hmm. Yes, I, I would say, okay, so if it started right after birth control, like the first cycle or so right after birth control, um, there could be an estrogen progesterone balance as those hormones play a role with healthy sebum production and maintaining um, a healthy microbial balance within the face. Um, but other things that could potentially lead to acne would be higher androgens. And with some forms of birth control, we can have what is called an androgen rebound effect because this goes back to understanding what form of birth control you're on um, because some forms of birth control, typically progestin-only ones like the Mirena IUD, the Skyla, um, the implant, there's if you're on a progestin only form of birth control, some of them can suppress androgens when you're on them in your body. And so when you come off of it, you can see what we call, now I don't know if this is formally anything, but an androgen rebound. We see a rebound effect of those androgens being produced. And so typically when we're seeing, now I'm, I'm not gonna say that this is for everybody, but oftentimes when we're seeing um, acne around the jawline, um, maybe even a little bit of increase of facial hair growth, maybe some thicker peach fuzz or hair thinning, hair loss, some of these androgenic symptoms can be common after coming off of progestin only for forms of, of birth control due to that androgen rebound effect, which is 
typically temporary, doesn't always last a super long time, but that can be that can be one reason. Um, but this is to say that acne can show up in from many, many, many different things. So it's not always as easy as saying, okay, yes, it is this androgen rebound effect. Um, it could be that if this is a few cycles down the line, you've confirmed that you were ovulating, there could be that estrogen progesterone imbalance, maybe you have some estrogen dominance, which can be really common in that luteal phase right before your period. So you may see that influx of PMS, which acne is a part of that. So it may be a little bit of that. Um, acne, rosacea, eczema, all of those things. If you're experiencing redness, um, all of that could be related to your gut health too, inflammation balance issues, liver dysfunction. We have to remember that our skin is one of our detoxifying systems. So if your body can't detoxify certain chemicals, toxins, it can often get pushed out through your skin. Um, so gut health dysfunction, liver dysfunction. So when we're, when we're speaking to acne, there's a lot of different things that could could influence it now those are just some of the areas and, and sometimes it could be kind of a compilation of, of of all of those things and so this is why like topical and this is also a great reason why hormone testing can be really helpful especially for symptom management because if we're taking a look someone is experiencing androgenic symptoms androgenic acne placement um and we have an understanding of that but we do some some testing like we look at the dutch test for example which is the dried urine test of comprehensive hormones um, we may be able to see that a person is pushing their androgen metabolism down a more androgenic pathway which could result in more uh, facial hair growth acne stuff like that in which case there are topical support systems that we may be able to utilize. Um, there are some things like there's reishi face oil. So reishi mushroom is a type of, um, it can be an adaptogenic mushroom, but it can also help to support more normalized conversion of androgens peripherally. I know I speak really big. I apologize for that ahead of time. Um, but it can help to reduce the, the androgen um, impact on the face, you know? So if we're seeing the hormone testing and we're seeing what could be driving that symptom and it happens to be an androgenic issue, potentially post-birth control where that sort of thing can be common, we may be able to bring in some topical support, find a right an optimal facial serum for you, something like that to support it, just the symptom, but also taking a step deeper, looking at how can we support your body? How can we balance your blood sugar? How can we support your gut? All of that is going to have more of a foundational long-term impact in the acne. Yeah. It's really interesting that I think, um, I think the cool thing about all of this is that with the right person and with the right investigation that most people can heal, which is really promising and, you know, heal from the root cause, which is, which is really nice. Um, but finding the right, I think practitioner makes a huge difference. Um, I want to end on a fun question that we've been asking all of our experts each week, which is a trend from TikTok, And I think it's, you know, Hopefully it's not too big of a question, but what are three things that 
you now knowing everything that you know and accumulating all the knowledge that you have are like, I will absolutely not do this to my body. These are three things I will not do to myself or put in my body. Just like, no way, this is my boundary. The first one that was really difficult for me to accept but a while ago but once i did it it helped tremendously is is not drinking coffee on an empty stomach (laughs) that's a big one um so one of the reasons being is that the body's primary stress hormone cortisol can be naturally higher in the morning and I don't. I know I didn't really go through the whole stress cycle, HPA dysregulation, adrenal fatigue, and what all of that means. But if you already have dysfunction in those areas, and you're drinking coffee on an empty stomach, that's going to set the tone for the rest of the day. And so, giving your body some type of substance before you're drinking coffee can help to sort of buffer that impact, so that you're not causing more physiological stress than necessary first thing in the morning. (laughs) So that's one of my big, big uh, non-negotiables. And I still get to enjoy my coffee so long as I have something before it. So that's one. So the second one I would say, and it, it goes along everything that we've been talking about, is not putting so much stress on myself. For a long time, I adhered to these perfectionist tendencies and wanting to have everything perfect and feeling like if I didn't do it right, then I failed and I have to start back from square one again. And I like to, I like to share this analogy sometimes with my clients and with my students. It's that, you know, let's say that you are leaving your house and you have the destination to go to your friend's house or the market or wherever it is. And you walk out the door and you get a few steps going, you feel good about yourself. And then you trip and you stumble and you look down and there was a rock or a log in your way. It was an obstacle in your way. Something happened that made you fall. Now, realistically, are you going to stop what you're doing, pick up that rock, turn around and walk back home and then you know, put the rock on your back, put put all the weight on your shoulders, and then start again and, and leave your house and you, from the beginning. Realistically, no, but we do that. We do that. We we make a mistake. We we slip up. We fall. We trip, and we pick it up, and we go right back from where we began. And when we're thinking about it from this perspective, I would encourage people to to look at yourself as you are human, you are on a journey. When you're on a journey, it is unrealistic to think that you're not going to fall on a few rocks or, you know, an unstable terrain. It's unfamiliar. Of course, you're going to slip up. And this is a part of the process. But instead of, of looking at that, and feeling like you failed and taking yourself back home and starting from the beginning, just just pick up where you left off and kept going and, and learn from that. So for me, that came through as not putting so much stress on myself, remembering to give myself grace, letting go of that control, um, letting, go, letting go of what I may not be able to control within my life or those obstacles that come up, learning how to navigate them, um, giving myself some flexibility, giving myself some breathing room to be human, (laughs) living in that 80-20, you know, considering what brings you happiness and joy and finding balance in between the two. For for example, I personally um, 
I eat really clean. I cook my own food. I cook about 90% of my own meals. I eat organic. I get really high quality products. Um, I use sustainable cleaning products in my home. You know, I'm really careful about what products I'm bringing into my world, but I love to get my nails done. I love getting my nails done, <laughs> you know? And for the longest time, I was like, oh, if I get my nails done, how could I be a hormone health educator and have fancy nails? And I just had to, at some point, let go of that narrative because I just love getting my nails done. It brings me joy. It brings me happiness. I love having them commented on. It's a way that I can connect with people, you know, and it's something that brings me joy. And it's like, I do so many other things. I have built this lifestyle for myself in other ways, as far as eating well, having clean products in my home, you pick and choose your poison, you know? So like, don't put so much stress on yourself, pick and choose how and where you want to live your life, design a life that is 80, 20, have some joy, have some flexibility, have some freedom. You're not a robot. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that's hear that. I hear the nails one quite a bit, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then I would say <clears throat> the third one would just be to what is, what is one other thing that I wouldn't do? Um, ignore my cyclical nature. I mean, once I learned about my body and my hormones and how they influence my personal tendencies, my flow, my decision-making processes, how I interact with my community, how I, how I interact with my friends, my relationships, um, it also influences my workflow how I interact with my clients, when I choose to accept podcast interviews, you know, all of these things. Um, my cyclical nature has become ingrained into my life in a way that I live and breathe it. And so for me, it's like it is having an understanding of this has helped me to better understand my body. It's helped me to make more aligned decisions. It's helped me to tap into you know, who I am on a deeper level. And so if there's one thing that I would, I would not do is, is ignore that, you know, as far as like making a decision that goes against that or forcing myself to do something at a period of time where I'm just like, no, 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 my body just needs to rest right now. That's kind of what I mean. Um, leaning into my energy fluctuations, leaning into my needs, um, that I would say is really important to me. And now that I know about it, I, I wouldn't not do that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You can't unsee it once you see yeah. it. <laughs> yes. exactly. Yeah. Well, I love those. And Ash, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about all of these things about hormonal health, something we're super passionate about. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and lovely to chat with the both of you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.